Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 4, looking specifically at verses 5 and 6. Now, on this Reformation Sunday, we continue our study of the spiritual disciplines, of spiritual training. So far, we've covered the discipline of Sunday morning worship. We've looked at the importance of being in God's Word, of allowing the Word of Christ to dwell richly within us. We've looked at the practice of meditation, of meditating on God's Word. And last week, we looked at the discipline of prayer. This week, as uh, is fitting, the discipline that we are turning our attention to is the preached Word of God. For those of you who don't know, each week we send out a preparing for the Lord's Day. And in that preparing for the Lord's Day, you get a sense of where the sermon is going. You also have some scripture readings that will help you to prepare. And I would encourage you this day as we turn our attention to this topic of the word preached and the importance of the preached word for the Reformation, that you would dedicate in your own heart that you would not just show up for Sunday, but that you would give yourself to the discipline of preparing yourself each Sunday to come and to hear the Word of God, to receive it in faith, and to practice it in your life. So hear now the Word of God from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. This is God's holy Word. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble and let us go into the fortified cities, raise a standard towards Zion, flee for safety, stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to you now this morning and we remember, Lord, the way that you have worked through history, Lord, through the nation of Israel and the way that you raised up prophets within her to speak your word and how through the history of your church, you have sent your spirit that men and women might be called out of darkness into Your marvelous light. Lord, even as we are surrounded by darkness this morning, by this cloud cover, in the midst of it, would Your light shine forth through Your Word. Lord, in that we would clearly see and hear and respond. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. He was known as the trumpet of God because of the zeal and power with which he preached the message of the gospel. John Knox led the Reformation movement of the 16th century in Scotland and is considered the father of Presbyterianism. Now, prior to the Reformation, 
the Scottish church was filled with corruption and greed. We read that most of the priests had mistresses and children out of wedlock. It was just the way that things were done. The local churches were led by men who had little to no training in Scripture or Orthodox theology. And many of the bishops merely used their position to collect benefits while hiring others to execute their duties. The church leadership was corrupt and the parishioners remained ignorant of the gospel and steeped in superstition and false religion. Yet from their own ranks, a man was called by God to bring about great revival that would change the course of Scottish history and would affect even us this day. For as Presbyterians, we are truly heirs of Knox's work some 500 years ago. Now the first 30 years of his life showed no signs that he would be such an impactful leader. He was an ordained priest, yet he worked as a church lawyer adjudicating ecclesiastical disputes. He did some tutoring, but as far as we can tell, he was not a preacher. However, in the Lord's providence, Knox came under the ministry of an early Scottish reformer named George Wishart, who fearlessly preached Christ. And as a sign of his support, Knox became Wishart's ceremonial bodyguard. Yes, he was just over five foot tall, but he would stand in front of the pulpit with a broadsword, sometimes called a claymore, held like this in front to protect the preacher of the word of God. Maybe we need to have Ron with an AK-47 down here. (laughs) Now we know it's ceremonial because as a priest, he didn't know what he was doing with a sword. But it showed that he was a true convert to the Reformed faith. He had thrown in his lot with the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that dedication would be tested when the church of the day captured Wishart and had him burned for heresy. A void was created. A man was needed to lead the charge in Scotland. A man called of God to take up the trumpet and sound the message of salvation. And when the leading men of the reform movement came to Knox, they urged him to take up this work of preaching. And we read that he fearlessly said, I refuse. He said that he would not run where God had not called him. In our passage for this morning, we come to the Lord's call upon the prophet Jeremiah to proclaim a message of warning, but ultimately salvation. As you may remember, when the people of Israel came into the promised land, the Lord warned that if they did not obey his commands, that he would drive them off the land that he had so graciously given to them. And yet, for centuries, the people of God did rebel. They broke His commands. They neglected the poor. They committed adultery. They worshipped false gods. And for centuries, the Lord sent His prophets to warn the people of coming judgment, to repent, to turn to Him. And Jeremiah 4, the threatened punishment of exile is on the near horizon. Within a few decades, the Lord's patience with Israel would end and He would send the nation of Babylon to bring judgment. 
And so the Lord calls Jeremiah to proclaim a message, to speak his word, to warn the people that judgment is coming, that Babylon will invade from the north. But salvation is to be found within the walls of Zion. You see, Reformation, revival, awakening, renewing, however we label it, the moving of God to bring widespread salvation must begin here. The call of God to blast the trumpet. A warning of coming judgment for sin. And yet, a promise of salvation in Christ. As soon as Knox refused to take up the call to preach, another Scottish reformer named John Ruff confronted him and said, In the name of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the name of these that presently call you by my mouth, I charge you that you take upon yourself the public office of preaching, even as you look to avoid God's displeasure and desire that He shall multiply His graces unto you. Translation, John Knox, you better take up this call to preach. And take up the call he did. For from that day forth, it was as if a storm had been let loose upon the nation of Scotland. As though a continual trumpet blast were begun and would not relent. In verse 5 of our passage, we see that the Lord has laid upon Jeremiah such a call to preach. Look there at your text and pay attention to all the ways that the Lord calls Jeremiah To proclaim a message. It says, declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say. And then in verse six, raise a standard toward Zion. There's no way that we can miss the importance of these verse that these verses place upon the call to proclaim God's message. For the Lord says to Jeremiah, declare, proclaim. Say, blow the trumpet, cry aloud, say, raise a standard. Seven times in two verses, words and images of proclaiming a message are employed. And Jeremiah has heard this call, for we read in chapter 20 of Jeremiah that if he refuses to preach God's word, he says, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. The Reformation, which we remember this day, was at its most basic level a preaching movement. A great revival in the proclamation of the Word of God. For generations, the world had been, the Word of God has been held within the church. It was veiled in the arcane Latin language. It was obscured by the vain doctrines of men. It was hidden by the dead traditions of the church. It was bound by the worldly lusts and ambitions of the papacy. But as the truth of God's word was unveiled, the Lord put a fire in the belly of men like Luther and Zwingli, like Bucer and Calvin, like Wishart and John Knox to sound the trumpet blast, to declare in Zion the name and the praise of the Lord, to declare, to proclaim and cry aloud the true message of the gospel. 
And if the Lord has so graciously called messengers, should we who claim to follow the Word of God alone not listen to the message that is being proclaimed? Should we not stop our day-to-day business to hear the trumpet call? If you're at your desk and you hear a ding, you check your email. If you're at home and your phone rings, you stop what you are doing to answer it. If you receive a text message, you check it. A knock on the door, you don't ignore. How then will we ignore the messengers of God's Word? If we would rightly commemorate this Reformation Sunday, we must dedicate ourselves to faithfully listen to the Word of God. For it is through the Word of God that life and light is given. Now by all accounts, John Knox was a bulldog of a personality. And as such, he sunk his teeth into all those who stood opposed to the work of reforming the church. Again, he was just five foot, but he stood tall against the most powerful monarchy of the day. And he did not back down from renouncing the false doctrine and immorality of the Roman church. And as he stood for the truth, history tells us that he was harassed, he was abused, he was exiled from Scotland, and he was even enslaved upon a French galley ship for 19 months. Yet no matter the deprivation faced, Knox knew his call was to proclaim God's message. You see, it's no easy task to sound the trumpet call because the trumpet signals judgment and no one wants to hear such a message. Look at verse 6 of our text. There we read that the prophet must declare his message because the Lord says to Israel, In verse 6 and into 7, I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. The blast of the trumpet is like an air raid siren. Declaring that disaster is coming. It's like the lockdown drill at school that alerts students and faculty of potential threat to safety. Now the geography of Israel determined that the enemies would either come from the south by way of Egypt or by way of the north through Syria. And here we see the Lord warning the people of Israel that the disaster is going to come from the north. It will come by the nation of Babylon. And the armies of Babylon will ravage the land and destroy the cities and will exile the people off the land as the Lord had warned. What is more, we see that it is the Lord Himself who is bringing this disaster upon His people. Look at verse 6 again. It says, I... I bring disaster from the north because of Israel's continual sin. 
Because they have continually rebelled against the Lord. He is bringing disaster upon them. And this is the message that God's true prophet must preach. God's judgment is coming against sinners. It's not a popular message. It's not an easy message. For Wishart, it cost him his life. For Knox, it cost him years in exile and enslavement on a galley ship. But any true blast of the trumpet must proclaim this reality. God's judgment against sin will come. And for too long, the church of our generation has made light of sin. Our prophets have preached peace, peace when there is no peace. We have approached the topic from the perspective of dysfunction that needs to be rehabilitated or bad habits that hurt us and others. We've approached sin from the perspective of man and the effect that it has on us. If it leads to personal pain, then we need to change. If it hurts other people, then we need to repent of it. But if it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's the harm? And yet the true horror and guilt of sin is not what it does to us or to others, but what sin means to God. For sin is rebellion against the Holy One. It is treachery against the Most High. For God is of infinite value and worth. He is absolutely pure and holy and clean. And by our sin, we have flung mud into His face. We think there will be no consequence. We delude ourselves and believe that there will be no reckoning. But the Word of God is clear. All breakers of God's law will come to utter destruction. As the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, or Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, all humanity falls under the curse of sin and death. There is not one of us in this room who is not deserving of being utterly rejected by God and sent to eternal punishment in hell. Disaster comes from the north and all unrighteousness will be consumed. You see, we have fallen into a deep sleep, comfortable with our sin, comfortable with our rebellion. But the trumpet of God is to blast through the silence to awaken us from our slumber. For God will bring judgment against sin. And when you hear the trumpet blast, you must heed the warning of God. When I was in elementary school in Washington State, we continually lived under the threat of the big one. That is, a massive earthquake that would trigger an eruption of Mount Rainier that would then bury the valley where we lived in 200 feet of mud. Even when we felt a little tremor, I remember people saying, it's the big one, it's the big one! 
And so to prepare for the big one, we would practice getting under our desks. Now, I'm not sure what type of protection they thought these desks would provide. I guess they didn't want anything to fall on our heads during the earthquake so that we would be alive for the 200-foot wall of mud. (laughs) Nevertheless, when we heard the siren, we got under our desks. For apparently, if they help against a nuclear blast, maybe they will help against the mud. In our passage... The Lord does call Jeremiah to sound a warning trumpet. But not for the sake of destruction. God's messenger doesn't preach judgment because he desires to see judgment. But rather because he desires to see salvation. Look at verses 5 and 6. They say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard towards Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not. Why blow the trumpet? Why raise the signal? So that people will flee to safety. So that they will heed the message and will be saved from the coming destruction. Run to the fortified cities. Flee to Zion, Israel. Now the image of Zion is rich in meaning. Literally, Zion was the walled portion of Jerusalem which housed the temple. And over time, this word Zion became associated with the very presence of God on earth. For it was from Zion that the Lord would send forth salvation. It was from Zion that the Lord's Messiah would rule over the earth. Zion became the very word picture that communicated the concept of Emmanuel, God with us. And so when the prophet Jeremiah says, flee to Zion, he is communicating much more than what wall to hide behind or what desk to get under. Rather, he is saying, if you would escape the judgment of God, you must flee to the mercy of God. If you would escape God's punishment for sin, you must run to his remedy for sin. For to flee to Zion is to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Even as the book of Hebrews explains to those who are in Christ, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, this is the message of Jeremiah. This is the message of Knox and the Reformation. And this is the message for us today. If we would escape the judgment of God against our sin, we must flee to the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. For there is no other city of refuge. There is no other wall of protection. The Catholic Church of the day, through its doctrines of works and merits, through its practice of selling forgiveness through indulgences, offered elementary school desks as protection against the nuclear blast of judgment. And we too, who seek any other refuge than Christ alone, are hiding behind cellophane thin walls when we need a fortress, when we need Christ alone. 
And this is why the Reformation spoke so boldly of Christ alone. For Jesus is the only fortress of protection against the waves of God's judgment. For on the cross, Jesus wrapped Himself around His people as it were. And when God's judgment fell, it fell upon Him and not us. He absorbed the penalty for sin. He took on the punishment that was due to His people. He poured out His blood and died so that our lives would be spared. So flee to Zion. Flee to safety. Don't stay where you are. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. For if you are outside of Christ, there will be no escaping the coming disaster. But all who are in Christ by grace through faith are safe both now and into eternity. As the apostles proclaimed, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You might ask, well, how do I flee? Where do I go? As John Knox and the other reformers remind us, we flee to safety through faith alone. That is, we repent of sin, for we know that sin is what has, got, has brought God's displeasure, and we put our faith, our trust in Christ alone for salvation. You see, no ritual will save us. No act of righteousness on our behalf No set prayer, no lists of work. Just right now, in your heart, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And will you humbly resolve by God's powers to stop following the way of sin and begin following the way of Christ? Repent and believe That is how we flee to Christ. At his funeral, one man said of John Knox, Here lies one who neither feared nor flattered any flesh. One of the most hated objects in our home, as apparently it is in the Eubank home, as well as the alarm clock. That thing goes off and wakes us from our warm and comfortable rest and all I want to do is smack it. Please leave me alone. I just need a few more minutes. And maybe this is why Knox was so hated by the world. He was an alarm, a signal, a trumpet blast waking the dying world from her slumber. In his life he was despised by the world and in his death he's buried under parking lot Spot number 23 at St. Giles Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. If you want to visit his burial site. Parking lot number, spot number 23. A stranger in this world, but a beloved messenger of God. Buried under a parking space, yet the spiritual father of unnumbered multitudes. As Sherwood Wirt wrote in his poem to John Knox, Gentler spirits have lived in Christendom. More gracious messengers preach the word of Christ without a dinging the pulpit. But God knew what He was doing when He chose you to build His church. 
He knew the temptations to compromise, the dulcet voice pleading tears, the soft hand of seeming sovereignty. You were keen as steel, as deaf as ice. God's man for God's work in God's time. Would you not this day heed the message of the trumpet blast? To turn from this world and in faith flee to Zion. That is, place your trust in Christ alone for forgiveness and life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now in this time. Lord, and we ask that you would cause faith to rise in our hearts. Lord, we ask that those who may be here this morning, who do not know you, who have no covering for the coming judgment, would you cause faith to arise in their hearts and even in this moment, may they yield themselves unto you, giving their lives to Christ Jesus, believing that in Him alone is salvation. Father, and we pray for those who know Christ, who by Your grace have been so joined to Him and have been walking with Him. Maybe a few months, maybe a few years, or maybe for countless decades. I pray, O Lord, that Your Word would encourage them this day and they would know the comfort of being in Christ. For it's in His name alone that we do pray. Amen.